Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Derek from More Plates, More Dates. He's a YouTuber, founder of Gorilla Mind, and a fitness expert. The Liver King has seen one of the fastest rises to internet fame ever, documenting his ancestral lifestyle generated millions of followers and hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for his businesses. But it turns out that the physique he displayed in his content was built on massive amounts of performance-enhancing drugs, despite him denying it on many occasions. Expect to learn what Derek thinks of the Liver King's apology video, just how extreme the number of drugs he was taking were, whether there is more information still to come out, the risks for anyone taking TRT, Derek's thoughts on NoFap, how to develop confidence when approaching someone you like, and much more. This has been one of the wildest things to see from a front row seat. Zach, my housemate, has been involved in the production and is in the video, The Liver King Lie, and uh, watching it unfold over the last few days has been kind of like being in the eye of a storm. Uh, so much interesting insights today around the dangers of audience capture, of commercial capitalism run wild. It's really, really cool. Uh, very, very much hope that you enjoy this one. Before I get on to other news, I am flying to New York tomorrow to film a full-length podcast episode with Andrew Schultz, one of the hottest and fastest-growing comedians on the planet. Video Guy Dean is flying out from the UK, and I'm taking the entire film crew up to New York to record this with Andrew. It has been many months in the making, and I'm finally getting to sit down with him. I absolutely can't wait for this, and it is going live one week today, so it's live next Monday. And the only way that you can ensure that you're not going to miss it when it goes up is to press the subscribe button. So if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you are, go and find the subscribe button and press it right now. Thank you. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things that you used to do in a day are taking a week. You're drowning so much, you've now promoted your dog from company mascot to customer service representative. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,025 and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, that is the 25th year anniversary of NetSuite. 25 years of helping businesses to do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system. With one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com modern. That's netsuite.com modern to get your own KPI checklist today. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof and gymproof. They've got custom designs in gold and silver, necklaces, chains, pendants, bracelets, rings and earrings. If you've seen me on any of the big cinema episodes on YouTube wearing a necklace, it will always be from Crafted. I absolutely love it. It works with formal wear, casual wear, whether it's daytime or nighttime. All of the pieces are super high quality. The designs are great and uh, I love them. That's It's all I wear. Also, they have an unlimited lifetime guarantee so if your piece breaks for any reason at any point during the entire life of the product they will give you a new one for free get a 15 percent discount site-wide on everything by going to bit.ly cdwisdom and using the code mw15 
at checkout. That's bit.ly slash letter C, letter D, wisdom, and MW15 at checkout. If you want more focus in your life, or if you find yourself dealing with an energy slump in the middle of the day where you just don't have the motivation to stay productive, fear not, because I do too which is why I spent more than a year creating the world's first productivity energy drink, Newtonic. Honestly, I'm so proud of this. I was involved in the design stage from the very beginning, and we made sure to only include the most heavily researched and evidence-based ingredients in the world at efficacious doses to create the most potent fuel for your focus ever made. It uses a science-backed formula of nootropic ingredients, including Cognizant for focus, Panax Ginseng to reduce distractions, and L-theanine to remove any jitters and keep you feeling great. We've got thousands of five-star reviews, and you can see exactly why by trying it for yourself right now with free next-day delivery on Amazon Prime in the UK and the USA. Simply head to newtonic.com slash modernwisdom. That's N-E-U-T-O-N-I-C dot com slash Modern Wisdom. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Derek from More Plates, More Dates. You broke the internet this week, man. What the fuck? No, wild. Yeah, absolutely wild. Has there ever been this much attention on you, do you think? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, I feel like the thing is so much bigger than me at this point that I don't even know if it's necessarily attention on me or just the situation at large. That's a really, really good point. Yeah, so it's, it's tough to say, but probably not. Maybe when I went on Rogan last year, I think it got a decent amount of attention, but I don't know. How long have you been working on this? <clears throat> um, as far as like... The actual editing and putting together, you know, the script and whatnot. Um, I think in totality, it was like a month, probably. Yeah. That's a big project. Yeah. Fuck. Especially for a guy who usually just films off the cuff and just talks, you know, whatever comes to mind kind of thing. Yes. So you've put this hour-long documentary out that is talking about emails that you've received explaining what the liver king was taking in terms of his steroid cycle, in terms of some bits of blood work and health markers and all the rest of it that you've done from that. Obviously, you've been with this content for a long time, Mm -hmm. and then you release it into the world. You know how you reacted to it, and then you're going to make predictions about how the public's going to react. What are your thoughts on the reaction to this information so far? Um, I think it has been pretty it went more viral than i was expecting but the overall response i feel was pretty aligned with what i was expecting in terms of there was going to be a subsect of people who no matter what happens they were still you know hardcore supporters of the guy regardless and certain individuals who kind of knew what was going to happen at some point anyways and had a feeling that this kind of information was going to come out and like very much me as well like even before this stuff came to light i was like somebody fucking has this for sure. Like he's definitely put this out there in in some context to somebody. And like, as he gets, I don't know, gains more notoriety, like somebody's going to feel, I don't know, obliged to put out the truth, I would imagine. So I don't know, it just felt like a matter of time. And I think the, the general response was fairly expected, just far more viral than I ever anticipated. 
Well, that's riding off the back of his virality, yeah. right? You know, he's been one of the biggest guests on pretty much every big podcast over the last year or so, the Logan Pauls, the H3, H3s, et cetera. Mm. He's been everywhere. Uh, and on that, vehemently denied, like absolutely denied. What is it that he says PEDs are? Prioritize, execute, <laughs> and determinism or something? Uh, dominate? Dom some Anyway, yeah. uh, just outright stonewall. I haven't taken, I don't yeah. need these. You can achieve this body if you follow these nine ancestral tenants. And I think that there's some sense of like um, vindication that yeah. people have when uh, hypocrisy gets called out like that. And I think that's one of the big reasons. You've got all of this, all of these waves of exposure and then bink, there's undeniable proof. Yeah, it's uh, hopefully it doesn't lead to a skewing. Like the thing I worry about is there are individuals who are genetic anomalies who do work their asses off and are actually natural and typically when something like this, like it's not like this is an everyday thing, but when something like this happens, it very much frames the, I would imagine, the layman perspective to assume that any good physique might then equate to hormone use and then, oh, I, you know, the the limitations on what they think is possible, the bar drops a little bit, mm. which I'm sure that is partially what fueled his like mentality to justify this whole thing is – he would like obviously he has his own you know monetary incentive and upside on that and whatnot, but also from one of the points he would always make is um, self limiting beliefs and you know you're putting yourself in a box and this and that like there are individuals who could otherwise do great things without having to take drugs. It's not something that you need to do to have a great physique that's um, you know going to be seen as a top tier representation of health and fitness. So. Hopefully that message doesn't get lost in this whole debacle. Oh, that everybody assumes the only way that you could get into yeah. remotely good shape would be to take PEDs yeah. because this guy did. Yeah, because I think that's like one of the downsides of the natty or not discussion can kind of skew into that. Like obviously having realistic expectations is great, but at the same time you don't want to put yourself in a, I don't know, like in a box where you think that every single good physique out there or anything that is representative of elite, I don't know, the physical representation of, you know, elite tier body composition is, oh, definitely drugs. I might as well not even try. There's two things going on with Natty or Nuts, I think. On one side, it is um, trying not to dissuade people who think the only way I can achieve a good physique is to use PEDs. Mm -hmm. But on the other side is bringing down the expectations of people yeah. who think I should be able to look like that without PEDs. Like, yeah. this is the... Uh, like forever balance that I think is being struck with like your content or yeah. Greg's content or whoever else. I think the good thing that was guys like uh, Greg O'Gallagher, Matt does fitness who come out and show like, this is what I do without PEDs. And, and I are look like a fucking tank. And are, <laughs> and are willing to actually go out there and prove that they're natural too with like stringent testing. Yep. And like, if they want to be a role model for natural fitness, like I think those guys represent the, you know, upper echelon of, what could otherwise be achievable if you had great genetics, but also worked your ass off, yep. ate, ate clean, et cetera. And um, yeah, hopefully that message doesn't get lost. The most midwit take that I've seen this week <laughs> is liver kings on steroids. Like, oh my God, who could have predicted? Like everybody knew this. I knew this. This isn't shocking information. It's like, yeah. that is not a smart opinion. Like that's, and that's the most common critical message that I've seen online. Yeah. Like, dude, it's not about the fact 
that he had a very unnatural physique and it's now being confirmed as being unnatural. Yeah. It was about how blatant and flagrant his lies were. Like, yeah. that's what people are shocked by. Like, if this guy is able to so naturally, point blank, with ease, on the biggest platforms in the world, say, I've never touched steroids, and he's self-assured in his lies, like, yeah. what else has he lied about? What else is this sort of a person capable of? It's like the liar king. Like, yeah. that's that's the position that I think needs to be taken. No, it's wild how he'll just, you know, look people in the eye and just fucking flat out have his script ready to go and say the exact same thing every single time at what he deems to be the, I don't like the risk on that too. Like, I just don't understand the the perception of the ROI when you know the information's out there too. Like you, This smoking gun was there. Even if nobody else knew about it, he did. Yeah. And like, obviously, even internally among his team, they knew about it and they had put out information. You think his team knew about it? They messaged me. Oh, on his behalf, asking for you to sort. Oh, so it wasn't him that, that emailed you? He emailed me, but also one of his team members emailed me too and was like, literally subject line, video content idea or something of that nature. Hey, this would be a great YouTube video. Brian Johnson has this issue with, you know, IGF-1. He's taking four times the dose of HGH with no success. I think it would make for great content for you to like figure this out. And I'm just, you know, that kind of thing was. Hang on, is this the email that you missed? No. Oh, uh, I missed both those emails. How the fuck did you miss those emails? Because I have a separate subsection for contact form requests. Right. And on my blog, I don't really look at it like I used to because I don't write anymore. I don't, I don't think I've written an article in like two or three years. And they just pile up, dude. So, And it's like, I can imagine you can relate to me in that once you have seven inboxes and they fill up every single day, Eventually, shit goes by the wayside, and you will just never, just you'll never it. see the light of day. Yeah. Some stuff even goes into the spam filter that might otherwise not have made it into the priority inbox. Like, there's how much did you kick yourself when you realized that you had this? Dude, when I saw it, my, it was like a movie moment. I swear. <laughs> it was just like, because you searched for an email about this topic whilst making the video. Yeah. And that email that you'd never seen before just yeah. appeared. Yeah, so basically, I was looking for the email that was forwarded to me that had blood work, breakdown, like the the questionnaire thing where he broke down, you know, his daily routine, et cetera, his cycle, et cetera. And then as I was doing that, underneath, there was unread messages from anything that had that word in it of at ancestralsupplements.com. Very few things in my inbox that actually have that. And it was unread from May 2021. I was just like, whoa, this is old. What the fuck is this? And the the sender, I'm just, I'm, I was just like, what? So I open it and I see who it is. I'm like, there's no fucking way. And then I see this other email too. I was like, wow, I can't believe this has been sitting here this entire time. Like my impression was, and I thought this was what he was going to do. And I was sort of watching to see if this was what he was going to do is go on all the biggest podcasts. And then at the end, culminate it with a, you know what, guys, this is the actual truth. And I thought that it would help push the message harder, but this is the truth. And I hope you guys he, can he accept it. He was going to do this ahead of your video? Maybe, yeah. Like oh, I was, so he was going to do all was, of these podcasts? I thought then... that was maybe a scenario that might happen where he was trying to like collect the infinity stones of podcasts, essentially, and then end it with Rogan and like have the gauntlet and be like, yep, I'm fake natty. And I hope you guys can accept it. And then hopefully the steam he's built mm. up to there 
the net outcome would still be so significant that the people that stuck by him would be. Yes. I thought that was a potential possibility, but then it just never seemed to happen. Mm. But also Rogan didn't want to have him anyways. And and that. Yeah. Um, is there any more information that you didn't include in the video? Was there anything that you felt was too much to hold back? Uh, blood work, I felt like it was a very long and elaborate dissection. And I felt like it kind of just was a little bit... It wasn't like redundant because it had, I guess, new information, but it was more for the nerds and the guys who were highly interested in that stuff. And um, it just didn't feel like it added more after the first video to put it out when I feel like the communicated message was already sufficient to kind of achieve the, I don't know, kind of show exactly what had happened from inception to now. I don't necessarily think that going down the complete scientific dismantlement of like a blood test panel was going to be something that added more to the conversation other than being, I don't know, highly confusing or otherwise maybe even boring or I don't know. Like it just didn't seem like it was going to add more to that was uh, worthwhile to pile on at that point. I wonder whether there's more uh, secrets about his past, his business practices, drug use. There's zero chance that there's not more stuff out there with like there's no way he, I was the only person he tried to reach out to or this other coach. There's definitely more out there for sure. That's the concern, right? It's the same reason why um, telling rumors about somebody to another third-party friend mm. is always dangerous because it's not just about the fact that you're telling the rumors, but it's the interpretation of the third-party friend about you being the sort of person that tells rumors, right? Yeah. This is the concern that, that no one ever really thinks about when they start gossiping. It's like you get known as a gossip. In the same way now, Liver King has been the most brazen, confident, full-fledged liar mm -hmm. on the biggest platforms in the world. What else does that suggest that he can do? Yeah, Like, how there can't be more stuff. And I mean, the ambient anxiety that he must have yeah. of just whatever it is, all of the business practices are under scrutiny now, everyone's got eyes on him. Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there's more to come. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's why I was kind of surprised his apology wasn't just a concise and full fledged admittance of what happened and just that's it. It had like hedges in it and kind of side tangents that might have been interpreted as kind of like cop outs a little bit. What did you think about the apology video? Um, I thought it was very well crafted and I think the his supporters very much appreciated it. And a lot of them were like, we don't care. Fuck it. It doesn't matter. But I do think that some of the stuff in there that was mentioned was a little bit of a, a little bit of a hedge to justify like, Oh yeah, people are, have mental health issues and are killing themselves. So I took PEDs like, you know, to build this more viral brand to then get my message out to the masses further to help the people who are suicidal. But and because I also have mental issues, like he mentions his insecurity and whatnot, but it's like, is you building this character that is unachievable naturally, helping body image issues for men? 100%. Or is 100% fucking percent. infinitely worse, potentially. Dude, like, he is causing the low self-esteem that he claims he's here to support. Yeah. And then it's also, it would be one thing if there was no monetary upside to it, but for him to continue to hammer that, my businesses grow 50% year over year without my, without my push, it's like fuck off. Like, there's no chance. <laughs> his physique 
was created to sell supplements, yeah. right? That's why it was that it was premeditated. Now his self-esteem may play into this. Yeah. This, you know, a lot of businesses are like a commercial manifestation of the person, right? Yeah. Like your businesses have a bit of Derek in them or a yeah. lot of Derek in them because they're like your philosophy infuses into them. Uh, but yeah, you, you can't claim that your physique has got nothing to do with creating a boatload of money for yourself. It's in the email. Yeah. Like it's in the fucking email there. Yeah. And it's like, while I, I do totally understand the the benefits of TRT and, you know, HRT and having proper medical oversight, et cetera, like some of the, the, the justifications for like DECA and Winstrol and stuff that is clearly only included to enhance your image to like in your 40s, there's nothing ancestral or conducive to longevity about adding in Winstrol. Like, let's be fucking honest. So, um, when he said it didn't help, it's just like, well, what was the desired outcome of it to begin with? Well, can you not support people through depression without taking a metric fuck ton of gear? Yeah. Like, is that not, is that not possible? Like, I'm helping you not kill yourself by taking a Winstrol. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, what do you think about the apology? Dude, that man is like a WWE star Yeah, to me. I... The the cadence of the speech, it was obviously heavily prepared and maybe even entirely scripted. Mm-hmm. I think there's one error throughout the whole thing. Um, the whole like fucking movements and the pointing to the sky and these sort of um, pre-prepared little routines of words to me are not what an apology video is supposed to be about. He doesn't seem sorry. He doesn't seem sad. There is no part of vulnerability in that. It seems unbelievably performative. To me, and you could say um, that is part of his personality. Maybe that's just the cadence and like the way that he speaks and stuff. I'm prepared to accept that, but I didn't feel sympathy for him, mm-hmm. and I feel sympathy. Um, other YouTubers do apologies, and I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Uh, all of the caveats when it came to um, this is to do with self esteem. The immediate misdirection toward four thousand men a day kill themselves and eight, eighty thousand men a day try try to take their own lives and stuff like that. It's like, bro, no one no one criticized you about that. No uh-huh. one even brought that up. Yeah. Um. He also said it's complicated. Do you think it's complicated? No, not really. You took drugs. Like you were called out for taking drugs and lying about it. Yeah. Where's the complication? I would understand the complication if he was on therapeutic replacement and that was it from day one. And he didn't want people to think that his therapeutic replacement was something that everyone needed if they were following a good lifestyle, diet, et cetera. And there wasn't monetary upside to what he was doing. And there wasn't this like lying to their faces and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. But it was just, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. Like the apology was not... Some of the stuff he said was good. He said, I fucked up very clearly Mm -hmm. and acknowledged what he did. Um, You know, some of it was great for sure. You got, you got maybe 30 seconds of that before twice being told how rich he was. And then again, misdirection into the number of people that are trying. It's like, dude, it's on your shoulders. This wasn't in service of anything that was outside of your control. Like, you're the person that chooses how what happens with your business. You're the person that chooses what happens with your self-esteem. You're the person that's controlling the inputs and outputs that you have within your own life. You're not even restricted monetarily or in terms of resources. You can't even say, you know, I needed the money. It's like you said in 
second 25 of the video that you were rich before you even started doing this. Yeah. Like this was completely elective, right? Um, yeah, but at the beginning he says, I fucked up, like I own this. I thought it was a really bad move to not put it on his Instagram in full. I yeah. think it was incredibly contrived to take the most vague portion of the video that is on YouTube clip that, put it as a reel on Instagram, and it, it, if people didn't know about the story, it gives him culpable deniability and it doesn't sort of and effect the problem any further. And then the YouTube channel that only has like 200,000 subs, I mean, the video's done two mil by the time that we're speaking, which is a lot, but if he put it on his Instagram, uh, story shares, extra exposure, that's his primary platform of growth. Mm-hmm. But he didn't put the full video on there. Well, Why? It's not because of platform limitations. It's because he didn't want the exposure. Yeah, I think longer videos, you can have it in real format still, right? Like it's still the exact same push as a short video. And yeah, that's definitely notable. I don't know. Like I definitely think his brands will survive. And I think he will, uh, you know, continue to have his followers that are um, like ultimately a lot of the stuff he does talk about is positive and i do think people would benefit from some of the things he preaches but it's just i don't know the way he calculated this out meticulously and went about deceiving people was just hard to wrap your head around as a justified move at the end of the day just how many drugs was he on like what are the sort of dosages for those of us that aren't uh a part of the off the top of my head there is igf1 cjc ipamorelin uh, MK677, GH, Winstrel, Deca, Test. So eight. And that's, you know, just going into the, you know, the the questionnaire of trying to just say this is what I'm doing right now, but I, want, I need next level and I need to, you know, figure this stuff out. Now, he was trying to figure out how, why all of the GH-related stuff he was using was not working because he does, I believe, have a unique genetic predisposition that makes it harder to produce IGF-1 or it was some of the other drugs he was using that were kind of inhibiting it. But What gives you that sense? Well, because his IGF was less than 100, which is reflective of somebody who is like chronically malnourishing themselves potentially um, and like a, I don't know, chronically keto dieting potentially, fasting way too much. Like it's not representative of somebody who's in uh, like a growth state necessarily. What makes you think that that is something which is uh, inherent to him and not a byproduct of the lifestyle that he's leading? Ah, because when you're using that much shit, it's really hard to imagine that you wouldn't manually be putting your IGF-1 way higher. Like, there's, like he's a smart fucking guy, even though he dumbs himself down on podcasts to come across as more relatable and make it more understanding for um, the people he's trying to inspire or whatever. Because some of the stuff he would talk about otherwise is complicated, especially when it comes to, you know, the, like, I don't know, biomarkers and endocrine hormones and what kind of impact certain foods have. Like, he very much dials it down to be as palatable and, compre- and uh, I don't know, like, a palatable for the average person. Um, but that, I don't know, like, just the, the low value was something that he couldn't even wrap his head around. Like, that's one of the motivations that he was seeking... Uh, guidance on 
essentially. Mm. Like, why am I on all this shit and it's not working? Well, I suppose that's one of the framings where you could have gone, look, uh, I, I think that there's something physiologically going on here. I've kind of got myself into this strange feedback cycle of taking more drugs to fix a problem, which potentially means that it shuts down production more, mm-hmm. which makes more drugs. Yeah. That wasn't really the nature of the emails. Yeah. That was a part of the emails, but the majority of the emails was... Yeah, it was driving the brand and yes. getting virality. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it would have been uh, more ethical of him to disclose what he was going to do with it and then give the opportunity for whoever he is trying to contact for guidance to decide from there, I'm okay with that in the way you're going to do it versus not. Do I want to be the rocket fuel for this ship that's going yeah. to be stratospheric? Yeah, it's like obviously you're not the one on camera doing it, but like you're very much providing guidance and endorsing the process that he's doing. That's the first time that I've heard that take, and I think it's a really interesting one. Like that, yeah. that's a really interesting ethical dilemma for somebody to be in. Like if you want to uh, synthesize the smallpox virus so that someone can study it in a lab, or synthesize the smallpox virus so someone can weaponize it and send mm. it out into the world. Yeah, yeah, it's, not yeah. quite the same. But, yeah. <laughs> um, do you believe that he's now on a therapeutic dose of a hundred milligrams of test per week? Um. Well, it's one twenty, but even. I would, if he doesn't put out blood work regularly, which, you know, he has no obligation to, I'm sure people would like it though. So they can know he's, uh, you know, representing the ancestral lifestyle well and isn't walking around with a stressed out liver and kidneys and fucked up markers and stuff. Um, I'm sure he is probably doing something that he believes to be more therapeutic than blasting his face off. But it is, uh, if you're maintaining that physique, whatever you're doing, is clearly not representative of physiologic replacement. Like even guys who are because he's not got smaller. Yeah, like if you're if you're on 120 milligrams, depending on where your test levels land, it might not be therapeutic replacement. Like for context, again, like I've seen the guy's blood work, and it's with some of these levels, they will sustain themselves in perpetuity essentially because of the way the drug is released into the bloodstream. Like it's a long ester and you are not having any dips following a diurnal rhythm through normal pulsatile secretions, which happens endogenously when you have natural testicular output of testosterone. Like normally you would have test levels go up in the morning and they would dip kind of like go up and down, up and down. And you would not have a disproportionately high free T testosterone that is supporting enhanced amounts of muscle mass. Whereas when you're on exogenous TRT, even if you have you're training twice a day or you're, you know, getting shitty sleep or you go out drinking or whatever it is, like your levels stay exactly where you want them to. They don't dip, they don't change, and you have a disproportionately high free T. So even though on paper it might look like you're in the reference range, like it might not be representative of that. And that's not to say he is or isn't in the reference range because he's definitely been, like he's he's definitely holding something that's unsustainable if he came off everything, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, that was the conversation you originally had with Matt Does Fitness, right? So for people yeah. who don't know, Matt's this big fitness YouTuber who's in really, really great condition, and he wanted to come to you to get uh, the most highly scrutinized um, type of blood work at a cadence that you thought was good enough for him to be able to prove his natural status. Yeah. And uh, the issue that you had, or the, the concern that you had, is if we start to do these tests at randomized frequency and your condition begins to change or the lifts that you've got begin to change or we see some anomalies within the blood results. Yeah. If 
there's no anomalies, and if your condition stays the same, we can be pretty reliable at knowing that right now you are not taking anything to enhance. It seems like liver king's just getting linearly bigger and leaner and drier at the moment. Yeah, I think he's probably plateaued by now. But yeah, in your mid-40s, you don't walk around like that and you don't hold that when you are working out twice a day, you know, have, being spread so thin entrepreneurially, having a family to support, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, again, he doesn't have that much historical photos anyways to check his progress and like when things, you know, picked up heavily. But like he very much kind of elucidates himself what I think is representative of prior liver king where it's like my cruise dose is this even though you're coming into a like this is me coming to you from square one this was my cruise dose heavily implying i have blasted because you would never say cruise dose if you're not a guy who blasts oh okay if it was just hrt you would just say hrt but it wasn't therapeutic do you believe because he says in the well again i don't want to misconstrue like 0.6 cc's a test could very much be therapeutic like i'm not saying that's high it very much depends on what achieves symptom relief, what your levels, again, like the levels on a piece of paper are kind of just arbitrary at the end of the day. It's about what, if you had primary hypogonadism and you needed TRT, whatever gets you to symptom relief is probably what you need, even if it, some guys need more than yes. what Liver King takes yes. in testosterone dose. But I'm just saying that the context in which he presents it very much implies that previous to even the request for how do I optimize my IGF-1 and take, you know, why is the GH not doing what I think it's going to do? There was, to build the physique where he got, like, there was blasting involved. So you believe, because he, he says in uh, his apology that he was natural for 36 years of training twice yeah, a day, think, think seven days a week. He kind of, I, I don't know why he put that in. Like, he makes it sound like he just started hormones, like, right at that time. It's like, well, then your physique would have morphed by from then to now and you know it's just not representative of that mm. and it was just more so the verbiage too because again you would you would never say i cruise if you're if you just started hrt you wouldn't even know what the fuck cruising and blasting is you know it's just very well maybe you would but it's like you would never use that verbiage unless it implies this is my baseline to try and hold on to what i have but when i'm pushing the envelope it's something else it would be very interesting to see, because it's not like, although the Liver King as a, what was he called before? Barbarian Lad. Yeah. Well, Pri that was like a... Primal Boy. I don't I don't know who deemed that to be his, you know, whatever. Like, that wasn't chosen by him, because he clearly identified himself from, as a Liver King from even pre... Was, where's the Barbarian Lad thing come from? I don't know. I saw Have on I Facebook. It was like a viral video on Facebook I got tagged in. Okay. It was the first one I ever saw. Okay. Um... My point being, even though that was the uh, genesis of the character that he plays, we're literally talking about a WWE guy here. Yeah, um, it, I feel like he could have just shown up at least with a shirt on to the to the YouTube video. Yeah, like come across <laughs> as more like this is Brian talking. Yeah, make sure that I get a pump on before I do this yeah. video about yeah. how I took loads of steroids to get this physique. Yeah, um, but yeah, he he existed beforehand, right? So mm -hmm. there will be there has to be no one no one's a fucking digital ghost. So. Mm -hmm. There has to be um, physique progressions over time. So even if you're not going to come out and do blood tests, why not maybe say, look, here's me at um, 33 years old. Yeah. 33 years old, you can see I've already got the muscle insertions, I've got the size, I've got the dryness, I've got the fullness. This proves that I haven't been taking drugs for this long. Or is it that some of the um, 
pretty sort of malignant looking blood work results are a byproduct of how much juice it took to get you to this stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, I don't know if that would ever, like there are images of him where he looks much smaller. It's just few and far between. Um, I don't know if his team like did a fucking scrub of the internet before he started. Who knows? I don't know how well planned it was. Cause again, like you, it didn't seem like the whole thing was forward thinking at all to begin with anyway. So mm. it's kind of hard to speculate on that. What do you think the future's got in store for him? Um, I think as long as he remains fully transparent, but I don't know, like, again, I don't think he is fully transparent even after the apology, but still, I think that overarchingly there will be a subsect of people who very much feel that it was a, you know, a necessary evil potentially to get the message out more, or people just don't care because they find him highly entertaining. Or, um, I do think that he continues to grow on social media and, uh, make wild ancestrally consistent videos and shit. I don't. I don't think it changes that much. Like I, he definitely is going to carry this with him, and people generally at least know the truth behind the inception of the brand now and what the plan was from day one, etc. But um, I very much think it continues a little bit on the same track, all but with more transparency to some extent. There's been something weird that's happened over the last few days since the video that you released went out, and it is um, a lot of Instagram stories from him tagging you uh, in yeah. this sort of appreciative, uh, almost collaborative or attempting, I think, to position himself as collaborative with you uh, to not position himself in any way as an adversary mm. of yours. Like, that's the number one thing. There was a video of him that you must have seen sat around the table with his kids at dinner yeah. saying, uh, I, you know, before we eat, like, I want to say thank you to Derek for doing the whatever. He said, um, you're the catalyst to help bring him to his knees and rise to new heights that he's eternally grateful for. Mm. What do you, what do you, do you feel, uh, are you feeling the gratitude? <laughs> it's, it's, dude, I don't know what he says is part of the character or not at this point. So it's like. I don't necessarily think it comes from like a totally honest place necessarily, as you would expect. But um, I understand why he would be doing it to, you know, he's if he aligns with the video and makes it seem like he's has gratitude for it coming out and it helps him, you know, be a more transparent and better man in the future than like what else? I don't know what else he could position it as or just not talk about it at all. I don't know. What do you think? I don't, even, I don't even know what to think about it, dude. Like wrapping my head around the it's whole situation very is... strange. It's very strange. I think um, it makes sense to use it as a, a defensive strategy mm. um, for all that on the outside he looks relatively unflappable. The apology video to me held very little vulnerability or sadness in it. It didn't seem authentic. It didn't make me feel uh, like any sympathy for him. Mm. Um, there still must be a lot of frenetic we need to fix this we need to come up with a solution to order to stop this not even just there is a person in there right there is a human in there for whom this is going to be a difficult time like and i do want to and recognize the fact that this will fucking suck personally for him Mm. um so it's not like every single thing is a contrived business activity and he's literally like the mouthpiece puppet of a business that he also happens to run yeah but 
I think the reason that he would do it, that he is trying to align himself so closely with you, with the Instagram stories, with the gratitude, with the Ray rise to new greater heights and all of that stuff, is in an attempt to um, downregulate the in-group, out-group dynamic that yeah. weaponizes people on the internet. Like, that is what causes people to really fucking dig their heels into something. So if he was to say, Derek's a fucking piece of shit, um, he shouldn't have released those emails. I think that it's unethical. Uh, Stonewalled or lied or said, like, I'm going to whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, if he'd done any of that, the entire internet would have got behind you. Mm. They would have said, you just been rumbled and we're going to take you down for it. The only way that you can deal with this is to be the very gracious, very humble, very accepted, and to not position yourself as someone that is on the other side of this discussion to the person who has uh, massive amounts of respect, a huge, massive loyal fan base, and is generating like 2 million plays a day on their YouTube channel from one video. Like, you can't do that. And I think that uh, that closeness and affinity is a, a protective mechanism. I'm not saying that that is exclusively contrived either. Like, I genuinely think that you just like, I don't know whether you ever did this in school. Did you ever get, um, you would accidentally like, play too hard and hit someone and they would start crying and then you'd go ah and you'd start crying as if you'd been hit as well like i see this happening with kid little kids all the time that they just they, they want to try and find affinity with the person that is maybe a little bit of an adversary and right. that that tries to calm down the the energy a bit yeah uh yeah it's hard to say man like wrapping my head around the situation is like i I don't really know what to make of it. Sometimes when I think about the whole picture, it's just mind blowing. This is even a thing. It seems like a like a movie almost. It's just it's just absurd. <laughs> I've seen uh, an, a couple of interesting takes coming out of the ancestral slash paleo slash carnivore community, uh, saying people already think that we're like weird enough uh, as it is. Yeah. Like this was Michaela's point, right? Mm -hmm. That she said like everyone already looks at carnivore and blind diet people and thinks that they're freaks mm -hmm. um like this guy is not making our job any easier yeah. of assisting people with autoimmune disorders or what, whatever it is that they're trying to fix with a particular diet um he's not making it any easier no like it's yeah it's because <laughs> again it's if you have to make an excuse for why you did this whole marketing strategy around your brand but you have these noble intentions that are underpinning the whole thing, and that's why you did it. And then it's like all the other carnivore people have to then say, no, trust me, the diet actually is useful for certain people, and that's not a representation of why we do it or why we'd recommend it or whatever. Um, yeah, I can imagine it would be kind of a weird thing to navigate for them. It's a, a little bit of a like a trolley problem. You know, is the net benefit of this guy – the nine ancestral tenants that seem pretty fucking good. You know, like I rely on a bunch of them myself, although not through him. Yeah. Um, how much of that good information ultimately is tarnished by it coming from a place of uh, contrived, uh, fundamentally not natural uh, foundations? Um, like it's definitely, I, I think a lot, like I said, I think a lot of the, the tenants are, quite useful and I think would highly benefit a lot of people's lives. It's just the issue is that he does not necessarily live them himself. Like he, to some extent, yeah, but it's like, Oh, your cell phone next to your dick and ball is going to kill your testosterone. It's like, well, you're on testosterone. <laughs> like how much did that You've work? You've got no concerns about that. Yeah. And it, 
you know, I'm I'm fairly certain. Now, again, I don't know his entire medical history, but it would be I would be surprised if he actually, you know, needed all the stuff that he's doing. Like, I'm sure the guys like Paul Saladino are a good representation of here's my blood work on an actual carnivore diet and what it can do for you before and after and why I believe it to be effective. And yeah, he kind of leans in the more viral route for reels and stuff nowadays, which some people frown upon like Lane Norton, some of the guys in the the nutrition space who otherwise think Paul is too tunnel visioned on demonizing certain things to propel his message a bit more, but he's a very, very intelligent. And I think um, represents it to probably the most to as ethical of a degree as he could while also simultaneously selling supplements and stuff. Cause no matter what, you're going to have people saying, Oh, you're a sellout, you're a snake oil salesman, whatever. Like once you start selling anything that supports your thing, that you're also a, the, the front facing spokesperson for. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, you know, and not necessarily a fair take when there is, I think there is utility to things like, like beef liver capsules. If you hate the taste of it, by all means, take a, take a supplement. Like who cares? It's just the marketing behind it. At least Paul is at least, uh, forthcoming about, this is why you would use it. It's not going to make you, you know, Jack bodybuilder who looks like a WWE character, but it might make you healthier because of the micronutrients kind of thing. When we're talking about testosterone generally, uh, I'm hearing a lot more about guys going on TRT. Uh, in America, it seems to be significantly bigger than it is in the UK, which is where I'm from originally. What are the health risks that guys should consider if they're thinking about going on TRT. Someone comes to you and says, hey man, I'm whatever at an age where I feel like this is something that I want to do. Uh, what should I be concerned about? What would you tell them? Well, it depends the context in which they enter into that. Because again, if you don't actually need it and you get on it, you could be making yourself less healthy if you're already perfectly functioning, top tier, and you're just doing it because... I don't know, you want to look like liver king or some shit. Like, I don't know. But if you don't, if you do need it and you're clinically deficient, you are, and again, not not medical advice, but in general, you are going to be more prone to things like cardiovascular disease, neurodegeneration, et cetera. So it's kind of like, if you actually clinically need something to then say, what is the downside to TRT? It's like, what is the downside of not being on TRT at that point, potentially? That's the kind of how I would frame it for the actual clinical utility of it in a real deficient setting it's kind of like what could you be staving off by using it in a responsible way it's kind of mm -hmm. and again i think this is where like brian could come in and be educating and actually say this is you know like he knows why stuff is actually useful and healthy or has actual utility in a clinical setting but he very much you know foregoes that because it just doesn't uh fit the well up to now it hadn't fit the narrative essentially would you be surprised if the volume of drugs that it's likely that he's taken wouldn't have taken a little bit of uh, time off his health span? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely not conducive to longevity. The bigger you are, the more muscle you have. Okay, this is too vague of a statement because I was about to say, if you have too much muscle, you're just going to die quicker. But in general, humans who are bigger and have more demands from their organs to support their infrastructure are going to live a shorter amount of time in general. Like to, like a small, tiny Asian woman is probably going to outlive the jacked 
brontosaurus human that's on a bodybuilding stage every single time. Why? Because of the stress and taxation it takes to support the demands of that tissue. So, and also it, d- it depends how regulating you are of things like blood pressure. Are you letting it get out of whack? Do you have a resting heart rate of like, is, are you like borderline tachycardia all the time with a hundred resting heart rate and you're never getting to sleep because you're so jacked up on androgens or like whatever. Like there are so many things that play into it and it's multifactorial for sure. But in general, if you are just a, and again, this isn't to say, because there is definitely a push in the longevity community to be protein deficient and be as small as possible and be frail and just live a terrible life, but live to a hundred plus. Like there needs to be a happy medium, in my opinion, for a high quality of life that's also trying to live as long as possible with that high quality because you're going to die eventually. And do you want those years to be, you know, frail, like barely fucking functional in a chair? Probably not. So there's definitely a happy medium. But in general, the uh, the more you go super physiologic, the less healthy it is in all areas is kind of the best way to put it. That's a really good take. And I totally know what you mean with regards to the balance between longevity uh amount of years and quality of those. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to feel good, perform well, be able to do a variety of tasks and be able to live life to its fullest? Or do you want to permanently be in this ambient anxiety about whether or not your oxalate level has gone through the roof because you didn't eat the right type of spinach this morning? Mm. Like that is, I think one of the concerns I, I, I dug into the longevity community for a long time and uh, Dr. David Sinclair has been on twice and went to go meet him in Harvard and it was just after he'd been on Rogan and then I went to go and see him in Boston the week after that. He's getting a lot of heat recently. I've heard. Yeah. Uh, People think he's coordinating with the FDA to get NMN banned in the supplement industry. Do you think that's true? I haven't looked into this at all. (laughs) I haven't looked into it enough but there is pretty damning suggestive things that don't look too favorable. And are people um, like attached to their access to NMN yeah, it's like, I don't even know if it has that much utility at the end of the day, but it's just the fact that he's trying to restrict people so then he can benefit from Interesting. It. Potentially, again. Yeah, 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 yeah allegedly. I, I haven't, I saw one headline about this and didn't, haven't read it yet. But it makes you also wonder, is it just because he's a big name that then has monetary upside now that automatically equals he's a piece of shit? Because yes. that's often, when people start making money off something that they were otherwise just talking about with seemingly no bias or mm-hmm. financial incentive, et cetera, you know, he's very much been on many podcasts and made it seem like, you know, I don't necessarily recommend it. It's just what I do. But he literally says uh, when people ask, what NMN do you take? And he's like, I, I, yeah. like, I don't have a recommendation. He actually ended up, I think, starting to say Alive by Nature was the one that he uh, began using after a while something tells me the only reason that he gave up any brand that he uses was simply because he was sick of being asked which brand it is that he used. It was like a fucking just take anything from me. Yeah, it's a wild and odd scenario that I feel like the, maybe not the exact same, but like Huberman or Sinclair, they often find themselves in a weird situation where they'll talk about something they feel is promising, but they're so influential that it then spurs people trying to buy it, as you would expect. And then when they ask him for his recommendation, he's like, do I just tell you a brand? Or are you going to then think I have some sort of like... Well, also, you're adding in... I've done the due diligence about Tonga Ali and Fidogia Regrestis, let's say. And I've Mm -hmm. looked at the the data on the back end of that. You're going to then ask me for a supplement recommendation off the back of that, which now requires me to go and do a whole shit ton more 
investigation in order to see whether double woods or like gorilla mode or like what whatever yeah. it is is like the optimal product for me to go and take mm-hmm. so i i understand the hesitation around that but when i first spoke to david and the longevity r slash longevity reddit was going off it's a very passionate community in a way that few others are and i wonder how much of the longevity community's like real vehement um obsession and and, uh, uh, passion for it is kind of like a denial of death thing Mm. that inbuilt into the longevity community, you have to assume that there is a a large minority, maybe even more, of people who have found that as a techno-utopia, secular equivalent of trying to find eternal life that you would have done previously spiritually. And if someone comes in and says starts to either criticize the community or restrict their access to supplements that they think is going to like get them to the promised land, mm-hmm. they're going to respond in kind. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, if you designed something from scratch, like I, how NMN came to be, you know, it's just like a basic thing that could be derived from like, like for example, nicotinic acid or niacin or any of these things that are very, very overlapping. These are readily available as supplements. So, I don't really know how the hype behind NMN came to be, if it was just Sinclair or what, but it's definitely, uh, I don't know, it's uh, problematic when you know that the price of it is probably going to be exorbitantly higher than the supplement itself because it's going to be from pharmaceutical standards and prescribed to you, and then it's going to involve some hiked up hiked up amount that it costs, et cetera. And um, yeah, like I can, I can see why he's getting backlash regardless, even if he feels like he deserves the monetary upside and he doesn't want to publicly say it, like he might very much feel like I'm the one who created the hype. Fuck you guys. I'm going to capitalize on it. That's an interesting position. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this over dinner last night about the unbelievable degree of influence that certain uh, guys have got health, especially in the health and fitness space. And mm-hmm. uh, Max Lugavier was on the show and he's <clears throat> nutrition scientist. And I was like, bro, why is nutrition science such a mess? Mm-hmm. Why is it the case? everybody, every single person on the planet eats multiple times per day. Yeah. How can it be that it's so contested? And the the point is that when you can manipulate studies to be able to fit whatever kind of narrative or rhetoric it is that you want, you're yeah. always going to get uh, the opportunity for fuckery from people. They're always going to be able to slide themselves in yeah. to different bits and pieces there. Um, going back to the testosterone conversation, men's testosterone dropping 1% per year since the 1980s and they're at all-time record lows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is this something that we should be worried about, do you think? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Why is it happening? Um, in, I think, your, in your opinion. I think it's multifactorial and it is a combination of lifestyle, environmental exposure, um, diet choices, lack of exercise, poor lifestyle habits, sedentary jobs now, no exposure to sunlight, being indoors all the time, more people are depressed from social media too. Like there, There's just so many things that are conducive to being a sedentary, lazy, apathetic piece of shit basically. And these are not conducive to masculinity or to making testosterone obviously. 
right? Do you agree? I, I do. I, I don't know the way that our testosterone production can be influenced by environmental factors. Oh, if you see a, like a, a hot chick, you, all the tea goes up. Uh, I found out that it goes up if you're around weapons as there well. You go. Yeah, if yeah. you're near a gun. Yeah. So uh, that's a, an advisor for keeping lots of weapons, I suppose, in your house and touching them regularly. <laughs> yeah. Just stroking. Just wake up and just fucking stroking guns yeah. on the morning. But um, I I I don't know how big the impact can be right on um human physiology simply from what you're talking about. Lack it's, of sleep in itself can just fucking destroy you. And a lot of people got, are perpetually five to six hours with poor quality sleep. Have we got data that people's sleep has uh, decreased, uh, the quality of sleep and the length of sleep has decreased over time? You'd have to defer to Matthew Walker on that for like an exact statistic, but I'm fairly certain that you could confidently say, in general, sleep quality and duration has deteriorated in recent years quite mm. significantly. Yeah, well, it's interesting to think that... Um, we could be, our, our environment could be the architect of this downfall. If there was one thing that you would just, if you had to put money on a roulette of what are the biggest contributors, what where is the Pareto for this, or what is making the biggest impact, what would be up there? Maybe sleep. Touching receipts. Touching no, I'm receipts. Just, yes, I'm just I fucking told you. I fucking told you, <laughs> no, bro. You rubbing it all over yeah. yourself last night. Yeah, I saw you. No, it's. Uh, I would say dipping low. your balls in it. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I think it was uh, mainly the the bad sleep. I think is very very impactful, and a lot of people are in a perpetually trying to compensate state for their poor sleep with overconsumption of stimulants, caffeine, etc to make up for the shitty sleep, which the half-life of these drugs is bleeding into the night when you're trying to get to sleep, and it's just this vicious circle of a disaster that results in low <laughs> low hormone output. And it's fucking terrible, dude. And then there's, you know, the diets have been pretty bad in recent years in terms of, like, quality and choice of foods. You know, people are going to stuff that's not even food. Like, what is something that is fake and tastes good but doesn't have any micronutrient density? There's that. And just, like, general... General low-hanging fruit, as much as they're obvious, very much get neglected. Okay, okay. Let's say someone's listening and they go, this Brian guy doesn't seem like my bag, don't want to take an ass full of steroids. I want to get myself to as healthy a level of testosterone, naturally using lifestyle, uh, a diet, and maybe non-clinical supplementation as I can. Mm -hmm. What's the prescription? This is not medical advice. Oh my God, dude. That's so general. I, I could what say, would you do if you were to say, I would be like, what are the principles that people yeah, should so follow? I would say getting to bed at the same time every night, ideally, and waking up at the same time every morning, following your circadian rhythm. You know, as it starts to get dark, you start to wind down, you get to bed at an adequate time, hopefully around, you know, depending on what, where you live, your schedule, et cetera. But ideally, no later than like 11 or 12, um, getting up. As the sun's coming up, it's not always going to be, you know, perfect like that. But I mean, just following your circadian rhythm in general very, very much aligns with the diurnal rhythm that your, like, pulsatile secretion of hormones would follow. And when you start to manipulate that in, like, an artificial way and trying to, I don't know, putting yourself in situations that are not conducive to high-quality sleep, it's, you know, bright outside and you're trying to go to bed or whatever, you don't have blackout blinds. Like, there are ways to try and hack it, but at the end of the day, I think that... Even when I track my sleep metrics, when I go to bed at 10 p.m. versus 2 a.m., 
Like it's a dramatic difference in terms of quality, I feel like, in general. And um, I, don't I don't think anyone actually has a full clear answer on that, by the way, because I've asked guys like Huberman and stuff about if I go to bed at 2 a.m., but I sleep eight hours and I have blackout blinds and I optimize everything, could I get the same health outcomes as if I was, you know, a dialed in like 9.30 p.m. sleeper? Well, what would be the difference between that and just going to another time zone? Basically, the only thing you would maybe do is restrict the amount of daylight on the back end because obviously nighttime is going to arrive sooner if you've got up a little bit later. Mm. So you're going to restrict the amount of daylight that you got. But even if you could compensate with that by going, right, okay, I'm going to overexpose myself to sunlight during the day or to daylight, then, yeah, that would be interesting. Like your body's pretty intuitive and oftentimes I think it knows better than you do. Like when people try and hack their body, sometimes they're fighting against something that is not leading to an optimal outcome when they could have otherwise just been following the common principles of go to bed at a good time, after the sun goes down, get up at the same time every morning, sort of following, you know, the normal circadian rhythm that a human should follow. Um, not saying you have to do it, but that's what I would generally recommend. Okay, that's sleep. Yeah. Sleep is sorted. What else is someone doing? Optimal testosterone, naturally. A good proportion of, like, not depriving yourself entirely of fats, in your diet, because some people will very much, especially in the fitness space, will go protein, carbs. They very much want to try and hit their body weight in protein. And then they'll have carbs, but then they will neglect fat content, which can be detrimental to testosterone. And that's often overlooked. Even people are eating adequate calories. They are sometimes depriving themselves of basic things like one macronutrient entirely or micronutrient density. Like one of the things I do is I plug my diet into this thing called chronometer. It's kind of like my fitness pal, but it's a uh, more comprehensive in that it breaks down all of the micronutrients and minerals of your foods. So it shows what vitamins and minerals you're deficient in of your diet model. And then you can then backfill accordingly based on what you're deficient in. Wow. So that is typically what I would recommend too, because if you don't have the cofactors and substrate to actually produce the hormones, even if you're eating what you consider to be a good diet, it might be deficient in adequate zinc or it might be deficient in adequate bioavailable B vitamins or whatever. Like, it would be worthwhile to kind of at least one time, like, flesh out, if you follow a consistent diet, what does that yield in terms of all of the vitamins and minerals, and is that satisfactory for optimal hormone output? And that's where you can then determine, like, actual targeted supplementation, because oftentimes people are blindly taking shit, like, oh, I think I need zinc, so I'll just take this. Like, oh, compensating I I for malnutrition in one form or another with supplementation. If you need to, like obviously food, whole foods is in general, I would say going to be better, but it depends because some people don't want to eat more. Some people have goals that are, you know, body fat related and they want to maybe even restrict calories. And at that point you might be cutting something out that was hitting your micronutrient allotment for some specific thing. And that's where you would then supplement potentially. So there is a, a <clears throat> like a, a tension between calories, calories in and the micronutrients that you begin to cut calories to the yeah. point where you can't eat enough to be able to get the micronutrients in. Depending on what your goals are. Because again, yeah. some people don't care about getting, you know, as lean as you, for example. Come on. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got food, we've got sleep. Um, what else? What else is in there as the big movers for testosterone production? Um, but, 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 like as far as environmental stressors and whatnot, it's hard for me to quantify like, oh, the chlorine in your fucking shower is killing your test. Like, I don't know for sure. But I would probably hedge against. Have you like, got a special filter in yeah, your show? Yeah, yeah, Do yeah, you? Yeah. What brand is it? Do you know? 
I don't know. Dude. But you can just search like chlorine filter, shower head chlorine filter or something? Or is this? Um, yeah, probably. Like you could probably vet out a good one within with a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. Don't rely on me for that. I don't even know if mine's the best one. But I remember when I was looking for it, it seemed to be like I would very much do a lot of the same research as other people are thinking like, okay, uh, YouTube, who who do I trust in the industry that otherwise has made videos on this content and has otherwise already dissected the literature? Okay, does that guy know what he's talking about? Okay, let me cross-reference it against a couple other people that I trust and are educated. Boom, and then you kind of create a conclusive, educated guess as to what is the best. Do they have monetary upside from promoting this thing? Are they sponsored? Blah, blah, blah. Go look at the Amazon reviews. Does it look favorable? You know, obviously stuff can be manipulated. You can't ever fully trust anything, I guess, but I mean... You got to do, you just do your due diligence and try and do what you can. What other environmental factors apart from chlorine? Yeah, like that was a hyper specific example. Um, Off the top of my head, like I know, uh, I don't know how impactful the receipts thing is. Stop touching receipts, son. That's what I'm telling you. So that, I guess. Um, What else? Uh, Oh, cooking in like like plastics, I think is. Something that could be impactful. Cooking in plastic? Not cooking, like heating stuff up and like storing stuff in, in plastic, drinking out of plastic bottles, not ideal. Yep. Okay. We are killing I'm, ourselves. I'm traveling. Yeah. I would normally have a glass bottle. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, one thing that I found is a really nice solution for that. Um, a bunch of different companies make glass Tupperware, yeah. plastic lid glass uh, sides, which I'm going to yeah. guess is mostly okay because the food's not going to be touching the top. Yeah. All my prep meals are in glass. Yeah. containers really nice super easy to clean don't smell as much yeah. uh, if you do end up leaving it for a few days you don't feel like oh god it's infused into the container now and i've permanently got this sort of moldy residue that's going to be in there yeah um steel shakers yeah. for uh using uh protein and whatnot uh probably some sort of cooler as well would be steel i'd be interested to know i'm gonna guess that yeti and and companies like that have done a good bit of research into um, are the metals leaking in at, at all? Is there any any risk of that? Uh, ben Greenfield was on the show and he was telling me that Zevia, uh, Zevia is the mm-hmm. sweet drink, right? Um, he had the one of the product development managers at that place on, and they they used a special type of aluminium that uh, was leaking less aluminium. Alum- aluminium. Uh, I'm, I'm British, son. <laughs> we we actually have an extra. I was double checking. I know what you're talking about. Come on now. Come on. You're Canadian. Come on. Um, Do I say stuff weird sometimes? You, bits and pieces. I like, say a boot, apparently. Do you? Are you very polite? I think. Yeah. Well, I the one one of my good friends, uh, Dr. Stu McGill, I landed off a plane, and the first thing he said to me when I got to Canada was, how are you? Good. He says, and how have my countrymen been to you? Have they been polite? And I was like, is this, are you, is this like a joke, or is this real? And he's like, oh. and I was like, yeah, perfectly polite. He's like, good, good, good. Got on with his day, so apparently you're uh, genetically predisposed uh, to being polite. But uh, yeah, the yeah, sorry, right, the fucking the metal, the metal that's in the drink, yep. right? The metal that's in the Zevia can is uh, they've uh, looked at formulating that in different ways. So people are certainly coming around to it. But I was walking through Whole Foods with a bunch of friends that are um, big into the health and fitness, anti seed oil, anti estrogens in everything, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was like, uh, what about that? Can I have that? And they were like, no, can't have that, can't have that, can't have that. I was like, what about those candles over there? And they said, no, full of estrogens, yeah. can't have that uh, fucking incense over there. That's got it in. It's like if you actually wanted to adequately assess the impact of these things, though, like, again, how impactful are they at the end of the day? 
like even things like your lifestyle, your exercise regimen, all super impactful above and beyond the sleep, the diet, the exposure to all these toxins, et cetera. Doing blood work, I think is absolutely warranted to have a baseline as early as possible where it's, you know, your peak hormone output, you know, 21, 25 years old, have some sort of baseline <coughs> profile that is comprehensive. So then if something goes awry, you can then go back and identify where there are deficiencies and balances, et cetera, what went wrong and why. So some of these exposures to whatever it is that's detrimental to testosterone or lackluster fill in the blank. If you change that, you could then get blood work done to assess is my gonadotropin output now sufficient compared to before if it was suboptimal. And you can see pretty clearly, like rather than being speculative about does this help? Maybe I should totally change this area of my life because it might be suboptimal. Like there are some things that might be you don't want to do that you think are going to be conducive to better hormones and maybe it has no impact whatsoever. And at that point, you could go get a basic testosterone test. MarikHealth.com. You could go there. That would be <laughs> that would be a worthwhile place to go. I'll do your ad reads for you. Tom, oh, thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Um, we spoke about Andrew Huberman today. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on him and his contributions? Um, overarchingly is one of the best educational resources, I would say, that is um, also one of the only individuals that I believe to be very, very, uh, I don't know, like dedicated to putting out the best information, even at the detriment of potential views. Like he will not just host people who will get high views. He will host people that he feels are, have high level contribution to the community at large and are educational and could otherwise inform him of things he doesn't even know. And he's very open to criticism, even from YouTubers who aren't medically qualified like myself. Like he did not get upset or annoyed when I first uh, reacted to one of his uh, Joe Rogan episodes. And I had talked about um, some of the stuff he said about uh, some of the bodybuilding drugs he had mentioned, some of the interactions with endocrine hormones. And I kind of did one of my classic reaction videos and gave kind of my insight on what I felt to be correct. And he was very, very polite. It, like a lot of people could take that the wrong way and be like, I'm a fucking like world top tier neuroscientist and you piece of shit YouTuber. You don't know anything. Who are you to talk about this? And he was not like that at all. He, you know, we've become decent friends, I would say since then. And he's, uh, um, always open to learning, even if it's from people who aren't like medically credentialed, which is awesome because there are a lot of people out there who are some of the people I learned the most from aren't MDs or guys who are otherwise seen as, you know, the forefront on paper, qualified person there are people who are just entrenched in learning more and are otherwise very much doing the same thing he does too where they'll just host people and learn or dig into literature themselves stay up to date on most of the on the most cutting edge developments in endocrinology pharmacology whatever it is and he's uh yeah he's great it seems like a rarity to have someone that has got the uh, scientific rigor and the preparedness to go through what I imagine aren't exactly entertaining papers, mm -hmm. not exactly like a riveting read, yeah. um, to then take all of that out, look at what does this mean for the everyday person, mm. and then turn it into something that's an applied solution. Like yeah. That's an awful lot of work. And you know the podcast is unbelievably successful, and he has this fantastic uh, platform now, and uh, his live shows are going well, and all the rest of it. But like, let's be fair, he works, as, po as podcasters go, that man works incredibly hard for what he gets out. Mm -hmm. It's not like he's publishing an episode every single day. Yeah. He's not live streaming all the time. He's taking 
weeks, months sometimes, to do research for a single episode. This one's going to be about grief. This one's going to be about a mating psychology. This one's going to be about exercise science or whatever. And you're mm. like, this guy's gone as deep as is possible on pretty much anything and everything that's available to do it. The interesting thing, a massive fan of Andrew, become really like tight with him since he came on the show. And I find him like a really giving, like kind person, yeah. which again, for that industry, you'd think like super autisty, uh, just head in the books without any compassion or whatever. And not the case either. The biggest difference or the interesting thing that I realized, I think, since Huberman's been on the scene, the biohacking community overall has begun to look more and more silly to me mm-hmm. personally. Um, I don't know whether that's the case for everybody else, but the very sort of experimental, forward-thinking, like super out-there stuff that was being done kind of seems a, a bit silly and under-evidenced. Give me an example. Uh, red light sunning on your balls and like Uh. claiming that that's like the biggest thing, the most important thing that you need to do. Um, PCP injections into like whatever, whatever fucking part of your body in order to be able to facilitate that, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Like the, um, different types of lights that people would get either on glasses or around their neck to, uh, activate certain glands or whatever that I saw, that was like a, a thing for a big while these sort of um, necklaces almost that had lights built into them that people would use like all manner of wild shit that was happening uh, using uh, like brain train EMF machines in order to be able to optimize your uh, meditation practice and stuff like that in comparison with someone like Huberman who just comes out and goes this is what the science says this is what we know like hard and fast, this is something that has evidence that backs it up. This is a tool that we can fairly derive from those conclusions. Mm-hmm. This is something that you should try with a, an appropriate amount of caveats. And to me, it's thrown the biohacking community into quite harsh light. Some of the elements of the biohacking community that were super out there. Now, that being said, there are a bunch, bunch of things that I'm sure that uh, Andrew suggests that the biohacking community was light years ahead on. But if you throw a lot of shit at the wall, inevitably some of it's going to stick. And I think in uh, for a um, like bang for your buck per minute content consumption versus usable strategy, Mm -hmm. I think that the science route that Andrew goes down is just like second to none. Yeah, and he's very quick to correct himself even when he says something that's wrong. Like I saw your podcast with him, and he even like went and commented, "I made a mistake at this part." Like how many people do that? Yeah, his. preparedness to not be psychologically attached to the stuff that he puts out there is something that I think we all probably could learn a little bit from because it's it's very difficult. And this is where I know that, you know, to bring Brian back into it, it, it must be difficult to have your entire public persona get dragged. Now, whether it it was a contrived persona in an attempt to sell products that were built off the back of a body that was created using, that is by the by. However, it's not easy. It's not easy to be criticized online. Like, it fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, the difference between me and my work and how people perceive that and my worth as a person and whether or not I am fundamentally a piece of shit <laughs> is, like, kind of hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you feel this? I mean, you know, you're regularly stepping into all manner of different contested topics. Is this something that you feel as well? Um, yeah, 
Yeah, like it's uh, what is what is the <clears throat> overarching question that you're trying to ask here? Like, how, how do I feel about criticism online? Okay, getting um, personally involved with it. Yeah, I definitely read it, and I probably should be better about maybe not taking it so personally when people <coughs> are going to disagree with you, and sometimes you could actually be wrong. And um, you know, I very much do acknowledge when I'm incorrect on something and try to be open to learning more. And um, I don't know, like I guess not being so dedicated to your way of way, your way of the highway is the only way is very important to maintain, I don't know, flexibility as a creator and have the, be able to retain an audience long-term and have trust factor with them in that you're not just dedicated to something, even at the detriment of it being wrong or at their harm or something that you then find out to be totally incorrect. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, um, back in the day, I thought to be true that ended up not being true. And I learned otherwise. And you have to be open to going back on that or else you are not a high quality resource. I would say you have to be very open to the criticism and, or learning more in general, for sure. Keeping the ego small. And this is not just for creators. It's everybody, right? Everybody is, uh, existentially passionately connected to their point of view as a representation of themselves, mm -hmm. especially given that a lot of what people are represented as on the internet now are their opinions. Like you are your takes mm -hmm. for a very like broad amount of time. Like even the most old school of like Facebook, mm -hmm. that is people are going to be having takes on a platform, which was supposed to be photos for family and shit like that. Yeah. Um, so I understand why it's difficult to do it, and I feel it in myself as well. Um, but keeping your ego small and having strong opinions loosely held, yeah. not loose opinions strongly held, mm -hmm. is if you can get used to accepting that you're wrong or accepting that you need to correct your opinion, course correct the direction that you have with things, it's going to make progress way easier because you're going to be able to crowdsource if you're not existentially like bothered about whether you're right or wrong, you're just simply trying to seek truth. You go, well, I, I get to crowdsource all of my sense making to everybody. Mm -hmm. It's like as soon as I get something wrong, so like, thank you, like thank you for for informing me about this thing. Now I know all of this shit, and yeah. I'm, I'm even better. So criticism becomes uh, a an asset then, as opposed to a slight. Yeah. No, I think it's sort of in a way why Rogan is so successful too, because he'll just he just wants to learn. He's not biased in what in how he goes about it. He's not having people on for views. He's not really doing anything of that nature. He just is highly interested in something, wants to learn more, thinks his audience would benefit from it as well, potentially, has that person on and just creates like this bank of just vast knowledge that is uh invaluable. And he's always open to correcting himself, even like self-deprecating at times. He's like, I'm an idiot. Don't listen to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he's like highly educated and become extremely, uh, the scope of his knowledge is just insane given the amount of people he hosts. And um, yeah, it's like one of the coolest things. It's impossible not to, man. Like even whatever, 550, 600 episodes, whatever this will be. Um, just sheer time and attention of being around smart, interesting people. You end up, even if you only take 1% of what you've heard from someone, you end up with like so many. I was at a Thanksgiving dinner with a, a mental performance coach for a professional esports team. Wow. And I was like, 
oh, we're, we're fucking talking. Like me and you, me and you, like yeah. everybody else get out of the way. I've got a conversation with this man. And we had like an hour and a bit conversation and there was loads of stuff that it brought back up to do with Michael Gervais, this guy that was a uh, Felix Baumgartner, you know, the dude that jumped from space. Mm. He had a problem with his, um, uh, he had claustrophobia when he was getting inside of the suit and they needed to get this Michael guy in to come and like, like fucking pull the ripcord. Like we need to fix this guy or else we're not going to be able to go ahead with the mission. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about concepts that I've learned from him or Steve Magnus, this guy that wrote another book or like stories that I've heard about Tiger Woods or Kobe Bryant or whatever. I'm like, this isn't, this is just me repurposing some shit that somebody else said to me. But this one guy in like what feels like an unbelievably niche uh, industry. Yeah. You get to have this amazing conversation and you know, that's what the attraction is to shows that I think are diverse is everybody is such a inherently idiosyncratic, varied individual. I don't know many people that are, what do you like? I like ultimate Frisbee and that's it. And it's like, yeah. no, I like like 20 things, right? I like like sci-fi from the eighties and I'm a fan of like modern art and classical music and blah, blah, blah. And because of that, you want to try and reflect that in your content consumption because it feeds all of those different things. And then obviously as a creator, if you get to be the person that's like, who are you going to speak to this week? And you go, don't know, whoever I'm interested in, like no barriers. Yeah. That's, that's what's cool. And then downstream from that, people get to learn it as well. Did you get any good tips for gaming? So I asked Do you him, game? Uh, I don't, not anymore. I used mm. to, but nowhere near as like, like I was terrible even when I was trying. Okay. Um, but the biggest things that he told me were exactly the same things that you've just brought up to do with testosterone. I asked him what the biggest problems that his professional esports athletes face are. For them, sleep and caffeine were, right. he was like, if I could fix those two things, which are obviously both interlinked as well, he said that would probably be 50% of his job. Define fix for caffeine. Like, what does that involve? These kids who have only managed to get themselves onto a professional esports team by grinding, that all they do is grind, right? Mm-hmm. They, perhaps unsurprisingly, like some kid playing Call of Duty at 13 isn't thinking about a structured periodized training plan, which is what they're going toward now with this mental performance. They're doing um, like peak weeks. They're having back offs. They're like all this stuff, like mental muscle, the same as the the physical muscle or similar at least. They're not doing that. So they get there purely through grinding. They're doing it usually after school on a nighttime. So you have inculcated a particular type of training practice, which you then need to say, okay, now it's time to be an adult and or a professional. Um, please, I want you to get up at 7am. I want you to do these things. A lot of the guys also stream on Twitch or have other side hustles that involve or that have incentives for them to create more content than perhaps is optimal for their training. Mm. And yeah, it, it's a vicious feedback mechanism. These kids are sinking 300, 400 milligram caffeine drinks consistently throughout the day to keep themselves going. That means their diet's not dialed in because they're constantly suppressing their appetite if mm-hmm. they're going through this shit. Um, and then they're staying up late. They're getting, they're not getting any sunlight, very little movement. And uh, he's now trying to fix these problems. An interesting difference is if you look at a, a normal sport, right? Let's say like in American football, which has its problems, CTE and blah, blah. But like, for the most part, the training diet regimen and game practice regimen that you go through is actually making you a fitter human. Like you're outside, you have community, you are lifting things, moving things, cardio's getting workout, you're eating whole foods, you're blah, 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 blah. Like everything's dialed, right? Yeah, the two most unhealthy sports, esports and bodybuilding. 
good point. Well, I mean, th- talk to me about that. Talk to me about the uh, the price that people are paying to do modern bodybuilding now, because there was a period where um, if it's natural, it could be healthy. By the way, that's yes. not to say, yeah, overarchingly, yep. uh, non natural, non tested federations of bodybuilding. What is your guess or knowledge even? about the sort of health impacts that these guys are having in order to achieve at the absolute top level? Like it's hard to quantify, but in general, I would say if you are pushing the envelope full tilt in the open bodybuilding division, you would be lucky to make it past 45 years old if you were doing full tilt bodybuilding the entire time. You mean like you'd be dead at 45? Potentially, yeah. Like if you were going hard from like teenagehood to 45, blasting every single off season, weighing up to 300 pounds, you know, cutting down to, you know, 260, 270, stand on stage, you know, sometimes less. It depends on, depends on the height of the guy, whatever. Like the top guys at the sport, like I would be impressed if they came out at 45 years old, retired, and were like still lived the normal duration of life. And is that common to, if you have the right genetics and you get picked up and you start doing junior shows, as soon as someone hits 18, 19, 20, 21, is that the sort of beginning of their use of steroids? Uh, In general, a lot of guys will realize quite quickly that everyone they're competing against, even as low as the entry-level shows, are using shit, and then they feel compelled to do so as well because to be competitive among those guys... It's just like a uh, necessary evil, unfortunately. There, you, depending on your genetics, you might be able to get somewhat far. Mm. But once you get to the pro ranks, like you're not going to win top shows at all if you're natural. It's just impossible. So let's say that someone hasn't dropped out at 45. I'm going to guess in terms of health, health outcomes, mm. uh, being able to live a, a normal life which isn't assisted with a ton of drugs on the outside, is, is that a risk as well? Yeah, so and let me sort of circle back to the the dying at 45 thing. That's like the war if somebody is full tilt maintaining these high body weights perpetually and doing it for, you know, 10 20 years like, and probably predisposed to Yeah, like yep. some of these some guys will drop in their 20s when they're in this uh in pro bodybuilding. We're talking it's, about uh Boston Lloyd last night. Yeah, obviously people will use him as a outlier because his use of drugs was so extreme and just such uh um he often would neglect even getting diagnostics to assess things and he just i don't know like again i don't have all the insight on exactly what he was doing or not doing but it seemed you know it was a lot of uh some mental issues around the the compulsion to take certain things that he knew was probably unhealthy but Anyway, the bodybuilders that are trying to live the lifestyle, though, and are eating copious amounts of foods, taking the drugs they need to maintain the high body weights, like it's just it's just unhealthy in general. Like There's nothing fitness or health conducive about it at the end of the day. That and esports, too dangerous. Yeah, yeah obviously magnitude is different in terms of danger, but I mean, like, one is, uh, yeah, physically and mentally pretty problematic, and then the esports thing, you know. It was just the second thing I could think of underneath that. Makes sense to me, yeah. man. Um, talking There's about- obviously worse sports. Like, obviously, people are going to be like, what about football? People crashing into each other with their helmets on and stuff. Yes. UFC, like, obviously, there are things worse. It was just a quick yeah. remark. But I think in terms of the um, 
like the byproduct of simply preparing for the sport. Mm-hmm. It's pretty difficult to say that there's anything which is l- which, which gives you worse health outcomes. I'd be interested to know. It's uh, like the act of actually preparing is not necessarily unhealthy when you are in the middle of uh, off season, you're training hard, you're doing hopefully a decent, getting a decent step count still, eating your macro and micronutrients, but it's just when you get to the the super physiological range of muscle tissue that your body's supposed to hold and it's literally fighting back against you to try and not hold as much size. You're using drugs that your body was never meant to process at the amounts you're injecting into yourself, but you're bypassing all the regulating feedback systems, such as hammering yourself with super physiological amounts. Um, Like it's just anything above that threshold, you are getting into escalating risk territory. And like, obviously the natural bodybuilding in itself other than the extreme weight cutting and water depletion, potentially the act of natural bodybuilding is not unhealthy. Like it's a very healthy thing. And I don't think the, the general bodybuilding shouldn't dissuade people because it's unhealthy. It's just the drug use, the excessive body weights and the excessive eating they have to do to achieve those body weights with the drug use. That is the most problematic. So you're saying that there is um, a ceiling to muscle carrying capacity that bodies have and that, you start to bounce off a particular limiter because I've always thought like, why is it that you don't have bigger variance in how particular bodybuilders at the absolute top look on stage? Mm. Like, why don't you have people that are another 50 pounds bigger than everybody else? There sort of is some people like there are, have you ever seen big Rammy? I have. Yeah. He could be classified as yes. a tier above probably. And, and is that um, with somebody like that, he's maybe got like a what like a higher carrying capacity? His body's tolerance for being able to not destroy muscle is greater than everybody else's maybe? Uh, it depends, but there's definitely, like at the end of the day, it's a genetic thing because there's no way he's necessarily working harder than a guy who's coming in 10th place. Maybe, maybe he is, but there are a lot of guys I know who work their fucking asses off and will never beat him even if they probably work harder. I'm not saying he doesn't work hard, but just in general, there are certain people, no matter what they do or how much drugs they take, they will never beat him, even if they double his drug dose. It's just the genetic predisposition. It could be more muscle fiber content from when he was developing as a, like literally in the womb, like that, some of that stuff you can't really compensate for just with more drugs because you only have so much infrastructure to build off of and induce hypertrophy in and so many muscle cells that you can then try and do things with. And if you don't have that infrastructure to get to the big Grammy size, like it's just not going to happen. But this is like such a hyper outlier scenario anyways. Like Mm -hmm. no one at the end of the day, the takeaway for the average person who can, you know, relate to this because we're not bodybuilders. The people watching probably aren't, you know, top tier bodybuilders. So, um, I try to keep the, the context of this more relatable for the, the average person, like ultimately drugs, at super physiological super physiological doses, there's no situation in which it is uh, you're not going to have some trade off for its use. Essentially, there's always a give and take when it comes to PEDs. Talking about bro science, what's your thoughts on NoFap? Um, <laughs> these go viral always, eh? The NoFap conversations. I think that it is. It depends what you are doing it for. Are you doing it because you've been told by I don't know, some like incel forum that this is like what you got to do or are you doing it for 
uh, dopamine detox thing? Are you doing it like in what context? Just in general, what do I think about it? Yeah, and I, what are the contexts in which you think it's got some efficacy, and which are the ones that you think is pie in the sky? I think there are a lot of people who are <laughs> sedentary hermits that basically never leave their house and use outlets like pornography to achieve that dopamine hit that is otherwise a lower barrier to entry way of achieving that smashing the dopamine button. It's a lot higher effort to go find a woman, you know, go on a date with her, uh, you know, attract her, get her into your bed, you know, have sexual intercourse and actually put energy expenditure into that activity as well. It's very easy to sit at your computer that you're already at, open up the browser and uh, smash the dopamine button. So a lot of people just, it's almost like a weirdly paralleled version of those rat studies where they just wired their brains and then give them the opportunity to smash this this dopamine button essentially and they always choose to smash it over and over again it's like that is very much paralleled i think in a lot of um men nowadays because it's just such a ease of access now that there is nothing to dissuade them from doing it and not having the I don't know, the willpower or the even wants to try and avoid it to go seek, you know, a higher quality of life that might otherwise involve companionship or whatever it is. They very much will take the easy route and, you know, it still achieves the same dopamine hit to them. So for them, it's their, they're just wired to be, you know, for them, I think NoFap could be useful because at some point your biological urges will be like, get the fuck out there and have sex because you're motivated so much just by frustration. Yeah. Like the apathy and the complacency that you have after busting a nut, it's just like, you just don't really care about anything, you know? Like why, like why am I going to go find a woman to be with when I'm satisfied and I just feel fine? You know, I'm just chilling here. I don't need to do that. So that's where it would be useful. Where's, yeah, it, where's, I, it, where's it not useful? I think it's useful in individuals who it has actually had a detriment to their quality of life from a relationship standpoint, uh, social interaction standpoint. Some people end up hindering their relationship quality with their girlfriend too because they're so porn addicted. They end up, you know, over masturbating and then exposing themselves to stimuli that otherwise makes them relatively unresponsive in an actual real life setting with a woman. Like there are many scenarios in which I think no fap or more specifically no porn potentially coupled with some degree of no fap is worthwhile. I think these get conflated a lot is the no fap, no porn thing. Like a lot of people just say no fap, but in reality, a lot of it is problematic with the compounding effect of the pornography exposure. Cause if you're just, if you're just like thinking about your girlfriend, and you bust a nut because you haven't seen her in you know a while. I don't think that's bad necessarily. What else are you going to do? You know? So it's the pornography and like tying that, that, the dopamine hit to that activity that is overly problematic. And then the no fap, if it gets, if it's excessive fapping or it's hindering your drive to go do things in life. Pathological fapping. Yeah. Yeah. Like at that point, when you can actually sit down and objectively look at yourself and say, this is impeding my ability to either get high quality relationships, maintain them in some capacity, or it's not leading to what I feel to be, a high quality of life in general, like at that point, I think NoFap is absolutely worth trying. I think there's definitely a, a lower ceiling for where it's justified to do no porn versus I think NoFap, like not, I don't necessarily think NoFap needs to even be in the same conversation as no porn always. 
which mm-hmm. it often is. People I, just assume it to be mean. one and the same. Yeah, it's got a branding. No porn's got a branding problem because it's not as catchy. Yeah. No fap's quite catchy. And I don't think, even with porn, I don't think it has zero place. Like, I think there are some scenarios in which, you know, it could be great. Maybe it excites your sex life. Who knows? It's just a matter of, like, the exposure, like, too much or too little. Too much of something is always bad in general. So, as you would expect, at some point, you are crossing the threshold into impeding your quality of life in some capacity. I've read about risks online of going too long without coming for men. Mm-hmm. Any truth to that at all? It's, uh, there was this one study I dug into. It was about ejaculation frequency, and there was a pretty clear trend whereby after a week, if you don't bust a nut, you will have a big spike in testosterone. And then thereafter, you end up having this plateau effect where it doesn't stay high. It kind of like dips back down and then plateaus at baseline. So I think there's some sort of biological like rhythm to trying to drive you to do something. And then it's almost like with with fasting. If people fast the first few days, you're super hungry. You have these biological urges to go eat and get nutrients. And then your body sort of shifts into like a anti-catabolic, more like sustained, just preserve yourself, hibernation mode. And I think that very much applies to ejaculation and sexual activity too. Like if you go too long without it, your body goes into a state of like seemingly adjusting to no sexual activity to some extent. I am no longer a reproductive being. Yeah, like I am. Maybe I'm ancestrally, I am uh, out on a hunt or I'm lost somewhere or I'm at war Mm. or something and I need to just not be too concerned about this. So would that, if that was the case and if this study was to be believed and there's probably other factors and blah, blah, but that would suggest that around about a weekly to uh, fortnightly cadence Mm. of either having sex or fapping would actually be an advantage because I'm going to guess you only get this spike once. It's not like if you weren't to bust a nut again for the remainder of that month, Mm. you're not going to get weekly spikes each time. You get one and then it plateaus. So you can repeat the cycle if you ejaculated at one weekend, then you reset the clock every time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but it's, it, again, like, I don't necessarily, this would be like a wild biohack to try and just recommend, and I don't necessarily, like, <coughs> make sure you only bust once a week. Not saying that. Yeah. It's just, if you were somebody who was to actually follow, like, what happens biologically that seems to be in line with what happens. And a lot of people on that do know FAP, they will also find that it's extremely difficult at the beginning, and then after a while, it's like, oh, it's not that bad anymore. Well, is that maybe something that you actually want to be adapted for? Yeah. Is that actually something that, yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, and like, do you want to be in a state of, for example, perpetual fasting where you just don't desire nutrients? Like, maybe if you're a bear who's hibernating, like, I don't know, but. Yeah. Well, um, I was talking to Hamza, who is kind of my window into the younger guy's personal development world. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that there's a lot of guys that he knows who have attached their sense of self-worth to the number of days since they last fapped. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about the feeling like you're working towards something and achieving something and have power over your your urges. Like you have a control over your body because you definitely feel like after you break a no-fap streak because you succumb to the urges, you feel like a piece of shit, even though it felt good for a second. Mm. Like, God damn it, I just I just fucked up. And the people who are able to sustain and, you know, work past that, there's very much like a an achievement of, oh, I've gone 27 days without fapping or busting a nut. I'm, you know, this is fantastic. I have 
what, what's Jerry Seinfeld say or uh, George? It's like power over my domain or something, or I control my domain. I forget, I forget what they said, but it's uh, definitely something to be said about the, uh, um, I don't know, restraining, definitely giving guys a sense of reward for an achievement of control of self, not giving in to urges. Like the same way you would not give into, I don't know, craving sugar or something and you feel good about it. I think some guys do would expectedly tie their self-worth to, you know, I don't need sex. I don't go, I can go this long without even mm. feeling like I need, and it, it could sometimes extend into a problematic thing where it's like, I don't even need a woman. Like, fuck, yes. fuck the other gender. Like, I don't, I don't even need to have a companion because I'm like that much of a lone wolf who doesn't need to fap. I don't yeah, need a woman. mode for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the um, goal seeking mechanism kind of hijacked by something because you can hijack it with pretty much anything, right? You know, people, I'm sure that serial killers get a good amount of reward when they finally find somebody and do what mm-hmm. it is that they're going to do to them and dispose of the body. And maybe I'm going to get caught and I don't. And you go, well, like he's seeking a goal. He's going after something. We wouldn't necessarily say that it's something that's adaptive or good for him to do. Yeah. The same thing goes for the person that feels like they need to use porn in order to satiate themselves or like they get the reward from that. We can find goal seeking behavior in pretty much anything. It's about, um, planning in advance what that behavior is going to be and do I actually want to have this as something which gets programmed in. Yeah. Um, one of the concerns that's happening a lot at the moment is around um, guys' confidence with girls. And, you know, if you can get uh, fake satisfaction or a virtual satisfaction from the comfort of your own home, you mm-hmm. know, going out and meeting women is like, for a nervous individual or someone that isn't necessarily compelled to do it or doesn't want to do it or whatever, um, there is a get out of jail free card there. Yeah. The more dates side of your channel was something that you spent a good bit of time with. What did you learn about uh, confidence for guys around girls? Like if there was someone that you were speaking to that was a friend or whatever that was like, I'm just really super unconfident with girls. Is there any interesting reframes or insights that you relied on when you were starting to build your confidence where you think like that actually helped? Like that was a really good useful framing for me to think about interacting with women? Uh, Like for me, it was more about, I was not happy with where I was at in my life with the, with my dating life and lack of it entirely, essentially. So typically guys who are underachieving in some area, if you, I guess are wired a certain way, you may feel overly motivated to compensate for that in some way, which could lead to you, almost overachieving in that area to feel like you've reached the baseline that somebody else who has just had it from, I don't know, like a normal transition into high school or whatever and had it, you know, silver platter to them or something. Cause some guys, they're just, you know, will just get girls, you know, naturally, or they're naturally charismatic and they don't have to like develop whatsoever. Just turning off this alarm for the Rogan comment. <laughs> um, But yeah, so for me, it was more so like, can I foresee this as my life in the future and am I satisfied with it? And at the time, it was not something that I was happy with and not something I felt like, oh, in 10 years, is this something that is sustainable and that I feel is something that I could ever be happy with? No, it wasn't. So I have to make a change because this is just unacceptable for me. And at that point, I was just pushing myself massively out of my comfort zone. Like it was not a- What did that look like? like literally going around my campus in between classes and just 
you know, talking to girls that I thought were attractive and just striking up conversations, essentially. And, and the reason for that is to overcome approach anxiety fear? Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, and this was like before Tinder and stuff really took off. So there was a very, very, like it was necessary to actually talk to people in real life still. And maybe that's, you know, that has shifted a little bit in recent times. And maybe it's more important to have like a high level social media following and, you know, leverage the the DMs game and stuff. But um, I do think it's very important and impactful on communication skills, your ability to articulate yourself, the ability to have high level, even like business presentations, job interviews to be able to, if you can go up to a some woman who you find attractive that's sitting there that you've never met before and just strike up a conversation and have like a reasonable dialogue you know, get her number, go on a date. Like you could pretty much crush anything that has to do with, you know, talking to a, a bro or to a, you know, a potential employer. Like oftentimes I find guys are most scared of somebody they find that they're trying to get something from maybe, or they otherwise are afraid of rejection. Like admirable. Uh, yeah. Individuals, like yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to put into words, but if you can, Oftentimes, if you w walk up to somebody you deem to be extremely attractive and you otherwise were terrified to talk to, and that becomes like a a nothing thing where you have no anxiety about it and you can just smoothly, on a whim, walk up to a girl and have a conversation and introduce yourself and have a reasonable dialogue, you can very much throw yourself into a lot of social situations that otherwise seemed overwhelming prior. How and, did you get over the approach anxiety beyond just it being reps? Uh, and this goes for girls as well. Like girls also kind of need to get over their own approach anxiety in a post me too world, all yeah. of the dating advice that they used to get, which was why men love bitches and treat him like you don't like him. Mm. If girls roll forward with that same, like, you know, aloof style, guys are going to take no as fuck. No, not, yeah. uh, maybe I, I need you to try a little bit harder and be a bit more flirty with me or something like that's the old world. And, you know, post 2010s, they don't get to do that anymore. Was there anything that you relied on? Like you're looking at the person that you're going to go and speak to and there's a ringing in your ears and your heart rate's <laughs> at 120 and you're like yeah. sweating. What got you over the hill of being able to begin doing that? Um, For me, it was seeing people that I found to be relatable, able to get over it themselves. So I was inspired by certain people that I saw who ha weren't happy with their lives also be able to get over that and become socially fluent, have no anxiety, walk up on a whim to anybody they please, et cetera, and strike up what I feel to be high enough level conversations that a woman is even impressed you're coming up to her, depending on the scenario, because it depends on, you know, if you're good looking, you're not creepy. If you're not good looking, then you are like, there's a whole fucking debate about that whole thing. What, at the end of the day, all you can do is maximize your self-value through all of these different vectors of gym, lifestyle, etc. But ultimately, the social components is very controllable and something you can develop. And yeah, it sort of is a reps on reps thing, unfortunately, to some extent. And I think just jumping into the fire or, you know, whatever saying you want to, you know, taking the plunge, whatever, it often is just the necessary thing that needs to be done to be able to develop socially. And I don't know if you need somebody to hold your hand to do it. I don't necessarily know that you, you might be just giving yourself an excuse. Like at the end of the day, you're not happy with your life. So are you going to change it or are you not? Like you have to take some fucking action at the end of the day. So for me, it was very motivating. I saw a couple guys that were capable of doing it. And I suppose that gave me a bit more inspiration than maybe I would have otherwise had from baseline. But at the end of the day, I didn't have somebody 
walk up with me to the first girl I talked to, I still had to go up to her and say, hi, my name is Derek. What's yours? I thought you were cute. I wanted to come talk to you, et cetera. Whatever it was, like once you get your foot in the door and say something that shows your intent very clearly, you introduce yourself, you then put out the premise that, you know, I'm interested in you. Are you open to, you know, a conversation or not? And you either succeed or you don't. And oftentimes you won't, but you'll never be able to figure out if it was a successful thing or not. If you don't just try and talk to people. And that even goes to talking to dudes. Like if you want to make a friend or whatever, or talk to a guy at the gym, ask for a spot, like whatever it is, like you have to have some balls to be able to talk to humans outside of in a online, you know, gaming context or whatever. I wonder whether in the same way as porn has given people a get out of jail free card <clears throat> for uh, fake signals of fitness and like reproductive satisfaction, if online dating has done the same thing for people not needing to develop. Yeah. Their- like at the end of the day with online dating, you still have to meet up with the girl and talk to her. So you could argue that it's just a more time efficient way to do it. And I'm not, I'm not debating that. I think it is highly useful. The problem is with online dating is you very much can't convey your humor as well often or your tonality or certain things that might otherwise set you apart in person so i'm not saying that you shouldn't rely on just online dating because a lot of guys will just crush it if they have good enough pictures and they have a good enough profile but mostly pictures like they'll crush it but a lot of guys won't like i don't know if you've seen the statistics on tinder success rates of men versus women it's like i don't know what it is now but it's probably like five percent of men get 90 to 95 percent of the girls or something and it's like well, then what do you do? Are you just fucked? Do you just do nothing? Like, obviously you need to, if you want some level of, I don't know, like a high quality relationship in your life, you have to take some action, in some capacity. And I don't think the excuse is, well, it's just not going to happen because Tinder didn't work out. Like, figure it out. Dude, I like it. I really appreciate you, man. Thank you for coming and seeing me. What have you got coming up next? Is there anything cool that people should expect from you? Um, doing a pod with Zach Tellender, which is going to be cool. You can yep. do that right after this. Um, I have a couple other podcasts coming up that hopefully you guys will find um, interesting or useful in some capacity. They might vary in, I don't know, how information dense they are or like what the style is. I'm trying to like get out of my comfort zone a little bit and do some more uh, different styles of podcasts that I haven't done before. So hopefully that is well received. And But in general, you know, you can find me on YouTube, More Plates, More Dates, or on social media and any of those uh, that handle on any of the social media platforms. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Right on. You as well. Thanks, man.